Hello everyone and welcome to episode 75 of Grief Burrito. I am your host Harrison Wilde and over there across the fiber optical world that we've come to love is my co-host Jordan Shenton, the only man I've ever seen finish a game of Monopoly. The tables were flipped, the family was separated. <laughs> yeah, never happening again. So please do say hello and tell our lovely listeners what we're going to be doing today. Hello, today we are going to be talking to the incredible Carlos Sanchez, a game developer with many, many years under his belt. He is currently working for the AAA studio Turn 10, known for the racing franchise Forza Horizon. And not only that, but he is partially responsible for me grinding away over 150 <laughs> hours of my life in Destiny 2, as he was the project lead and senior producer for the game. Insane. I don't know how we keep getting these guests on the show, but I am surprised every single time. So, J-Man, hit the intro. Let's do this. Hit that biz. First of all, hello and welcome to the show, dude. I'm Harrison Wilde and my wonderful co-host just over there is Jordan Shenton, if you hadn't guessed already. Thank you for coming on to talk to us, make, taking time out of your day and perfectly green screening up. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Pleasure yes. being here. I wish I had a better background, but uh, I've rebuilt my computer, so I didn't have time. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. We'll superimpose uh, one afterwards. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, we can it's do fine. that. Excellent. We'll, do it. we'll <laughs> do, it. do it in post. Before we begin, I'd actually like to invite you to play a game. <laughs> oh, okay. So the game we have is called Guac, and it is the finest podcast game in all of history. Um, <laughs> I've, I've checked. Trust me, that's true. So yeah. it is games unsuitably accurately characterized, which is where I describe a game to you accurately yet poorly, so from a different angle. Uh, Harrison, yep. would you like to use our example? Abe's Odyssey is the description that we always go with, isn't it, Jordan? So yes. the description of that game would be that Abe goes on a... Well, the character goes on an adventure because he's not satisfied with the snacks that have been provided. So he wants to find better snacks, basically. And then we'd have to guess what that game was just from that bad but accurate description. Hmm. Okay? So, so Jordan, we what have we got ready? for us today? <laughs> okay. So a middle-aged man has his world turned upside down when he's made to look after a little girl. But luckily... He's got the help of a few friends along the way. Follow their wacky antics as they travel across the United States and make new acquaintances, navigate tricky situations, make choices, and even steal a train. Can this man teach his new daughter what it takes to make it in this whole new world? Steal a train? The Last of Us? No, it's similar, to be fair. You're really? very close. I, that was what uh, I thought initially. I remember if there was a train in that. <laughs> I feel like everything's got a train in it nowadays. I am genuinely stumped by that. I can't even think of one way you steal a train. It's almost like it's the point of the game, Harrison. Yeah, I know. Weird, that. I <laughs> <laughs> think, Carlos, any ideas? I am stumped. I'm trying to think of, a, of games that have trains with a father-daughter dynamic. I can give you a hint if you'd like. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, go on. So there, there is a baseball cap that's quite prevalent throughout the games. There's multiple of the games. Oh, uh, The Walking Dead. You are correct. Hey, well played. Nice. Well done, Carl. There we go. Congratulations. That was indeed The Walking Dead. It is one of my favorite story-driven games in the world. It made me cry. No way. Yes. Yeah, I know. Very good. I actually got that cold heart flowing. It made me cry. I know. <laughs> there we go. Brilliant. So that was Gwack. Uh, that, I think, was about it. There is one more thing I'd very quickly like to say. 
Um, okay. We have a thing about, called burrito predictions. Burrito predictions. I'm not sure if you're aware, but we predict oh, yeah. things, and if it comes true, we're like, yes, we predicted it correctly. So I spoke to my friend Joel a few years ago about um, how FIFA, instead of releasing a new game every year, if they're not changing much, why didn't they just add, like, a seasonal thing where you get new costume, mm-hmm. not new costumes, new kits. <laughs> You'd be Batman costumes, on the pitch. <laughs> running around in a chicken suit. Or, you know, um, update the player stats, add new players, remove players, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, instead of just releasing this game every year because it's an absolute fortune. Uh, it yeah. turns out, guess what Pro Evolution Soccer are doing this month? Oh, what are they doing? <laughs> they are doing that, basically. No but I think it's something to do with their release schedule and trying not to mess around with the uh, the new console launches and things like that. Ah, right, okay. So I was partially correct. Yeah, you can well, take that. You can mark that one up. You can have that I'll on the I'm taking board. that. So what's that, yeah, five to that. you, one to me? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It's, it's really weird, Carlos. We've been very accurate in our even like weird predictions and they always seem mm-hmm. to come out, even if it's something we've just mentioned sort of as a brief comment that it wasn't supposed to be like, oh, this is going to happen. And then they just end up happening, don't they? And then like listeners are always like, oh my God, you got another one. It was like, we didn't even know. We weren't even, we were just chatting shit basically just to see what had happened. Just let you know, it is fine to swear, by the way. Yeah, we, you can swear. Yeah, yeah feel free. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, okay. there's, there's literally... It's just like, oh no. <laughs> oh God, he said fuck. Calm yourself. <laughs> no, you can say whatever you like, mate. Don't worry. If you're not happy with something, we can bleep it out, but that's fine. That was an interesting uh, prediction, though. Um, yeah. It's funny because when I started working on Madden NFL, it was quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That was what my big push was for Madden at the time. Like, how do we just uh, get it to the point where we don't have to actually release the game every year? Because as you know, that I mean, that's a really short dev cycle mm-hmm. as it is to do that. Um and uh, and I remember at the time kind of being laughed out the office th- at that moment. Really? Now I kind of understand why that would never happen um, as I've continued to like be in and grow in the in the games industry. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's just way too much money that you leave on the table yeah, yeah. doing something like that. So um, it's pretty staggering, even even with the success of something like FIFA Ultimate Team. Yeah. 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 The amount of money that goes through that game just it baffles me. I just oh, can't, yeah. There's loads. can't fathom the amount of money that goes through. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways they they kind of prop up most of EA. Like if you look at, you know, their annual earnings reports and stuff like that, it's just uh that game makes more money than just about everything that they have almost combined at times. It's insane unreal, isn't it? as well. I I I'm not into football games really, so it's not something that I'd ever really think about buying. Like I don't really play sports games. I think, I think I said on the podcast before, the last FIFA game I played was FIFA '98 on the N64, and it wasn't because I I was ever into football. I just liked running all the way across the pitch and stealing the ball, and just as <laughs> as you know, winning the whole match as the keeper. I just just thought it was really good fun. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing how many red cards you can get before the yeah, end of yeah, the match, just stacking about, making a whole deck, you know. Yeah. yeah, great stuff. <laughs> so you said you worked on, on Madden, did you say? Yeah. yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah, shipped Madden 12 and Madden 13. Right, okay. Um, Cause we, we, yeah, I, and I, was, I led the franchise mode team, the career simulation aspect of Madden. Wow, that okay. Was, uh, that was my responsibility there. Right, oh, wow. That's a big undertaking, isn't it? Yeah, especially when I was there, um, we actually rebuilt it from scratch. Oh, wow, okay. Oh. So Madden 13 launched like in essence, uh, new from the ground up franchise mode. Um, and, uh, the, basically like the foundation 
that was built there is what they continue to work off of today. Right. Um, and I think it's made its way into other uh, other sports titles that they um, have as well, like NBA and I, I believe FIFA as well, like that tech. So oh, cool. That's an amazing kind of like legacy to have within video games. Where it's yeah, like, it yeah, F- FIFA Ultimate Team is basically yeah. built on what I made. That's so cool. Well, I don't know about Ultimate Team, but their <laughs> career simulation. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah definitely. For, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think actually a lot of what FIFA built um, in terms of Ultimate Team is what Madden Ultimate Team is based off of, too. So, yeah, there was a lot of sharing going on within EA Sports over the years. So. Awesome. So how did you get into and doing this? I think this now thing? that everybody's on Frostbite, it's like <laughs> now the sharing is even bigger. So. Yeah, oh, yeah wow. Frostbite started a big thing, didn't it? Where did you start then? How did you even start getting into game development? Yeah, so it actually started with Madden. Um, oh, right. About... 10 years ago or so. Um, I was in software development for a long time before that, right, um, since 97. Right. Uh, and uh, living in Orlando, Florida at the time, uh, you know, Tiburon, which, you know, has Madden, it had NCAA football before that franchise got canceled. Yeah. Um, NBA uh, and several other franchises, like they're all based out of there. Uh, and so... Yeah, I, I was kind of, I didn't want my foray into games to be in in sports, even though I was a big sports gamer. Mm-hmm. So I kind of held off for a bit, but ended up relenting um, because I just really wanted at that point to get into games. Um, I felt like I had a lot of value to add there. Right, okay. Uh, and so, so yeah, so I, I joined them and, uh, and I've been in, in games ever since. Um, worked on a, a lot of studios, a lot of franchises, moved around even a lot while I was at EA. Right. Worked obviously in Tiburon, but then also um, in Montreal, in LA. So. Right. So you literally went all over the different EAs. And that's yeah, that's I literally did. Incredible. I've always wondered, as someone who's not worked in game development before, but obviously I'm a huge fan of video games, as you can yeah. tell by my stature, which yeah. you can almost see. Um, <laughs> what does a general day to day kind of work day look like for yourself? Yeah. Uh, well, um, I would say for me, it's, I'll talk about today me and then I'll talk about like maybe a couple years ago me, which is going to be easier for people to relate to, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, today me, um, you know, for the last two years, uh, I've been an executive producer at Turn 10 Studios, right? Working on the Forza franchise, Forza Horizon specifically. And um, as an EP, you're, you're, you're basically more of like a product manager in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're still responsible for production, but um, so my day to day is, well, one, it's like six hours worth of meetings usually oh, God. <laughs> with a lot of different types of stakeholders. You know, one will be the team itself working on the game, obviously. The other will be, you know, partners that we're working with, um, like various partner teams and marketing, partnerships, licensing business management, franchise management, et cetera. So it's, it's so heavily business skewed um, that, uh, yeah, it, it's hard for a lot of people to relate. And a lot of people, well, um, pretty much everyone on my team uh, who are full of directors, right? Like art director, tech director, mm-hmm. design director, et cetera. None of those people obviously want to be in those kind of meetings. <laughs> so uh, so it's as an EP, a lot of times you're taking one for the for the team and it's really a core part of your job to do that, to be there, right. drive those discussions, drive the decisions. So, right. um, so that's like my day to day now. I like it because, um, I like learning more and more about the business side of games mm-hmm. and how to, 
how to find how to get to that fine line between like making a great game, a great experience that people will love, while at the same time trying to be a profitable game, right? Um, with a lot of ethical monetization, if we're going to have that in the game, which our games don't have really a lot of that, but like mm -hmm. even with the limited amount that we do, we it's always a uh, is this the right thing for the player? Yeah, right? yeah, should we be giving this away for free? And so there's tons of discussions around that. Now, me, like a few years back, being, you know, just a normal everyday game producer uh, on a team, your day to day is so different because it's really about like your team and trying yeah. to keep them motivated, keep them happy and healthy, um, making sure that like we're driving uh, toward, you know, completion of whatever it is that we're working on. Uh, within the time that we that we were giving ourselves watching for burnout making sure that that's not happening getting in front of it for mm -hmm. people and uh, and then also you know depending on your level like at my level too being responsible for a lot of production that happens across like all the teams um, not necessarily directly but like indirectly by providing mentorship and guidance to other producers in the studio. Some of them are obviously reporting to you as well, so yeah. helping them with their careers and developing them. It's uh, As a game producer, it's working with so many different people on a day-to-day -day basis, and being able to work with like any type of person, and especially any type of discipline, whether it's an artist, designer, engineer, et cetera, like, they all, they're all different. All they, The way that they approach their work is different. The type of work they do is very different. And uh, being able to kind of almost be fungible, yeah, uh, is really important in that. Right, cool. So, what's like what typical team size do you work with then? So, I mean, today I'm responsible for the whole team, right? So, uh, our team's pretty big. At, well, for AAA, maybe not. Um, I think all in all, there's probably 150 people 200 people that work on our project that's still a lot of people when i was at bungie <laughs> that's a lot oh, sorry that's still a lot of people <laughs> that's still a lot of people mm -hmm. for triple a that's kind of i would say that's it's a good size mm -hmm. but it's um oh, a lot of times bigger, yeah. on the smaller end right like i think when i was on madden and again this was 10 years ago so i don't know how big they are now but we were at probably about 100 125 people mm -hmm. or so when i was at bungie for example we had like 700 people fucking hell not everybody obviously working on destiny mm -hmm. um but uh still it was a good chunk of of people in that studio that were focused mainly on on the franchise so yeah a lot oh, of people wow. don't realize the, the the sheer amount of people that work on games like a studio of 700 people that is that's insane but it's impressive what they can all do. Yeah. That's the great thing. All working towards a common goal. Yeah. It's yeah. just yeah. just amazing, isn't it? It is. And I, it's 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 amazing that you even get to ship anything with that many people. Yeah. It's such a massive problem of scale, right? Um, and, uh, and of course, with everyone constantly checking things in to a build and mm -hmm. making changes, et cetera, like at any moment, everything can fall apart. And sometimes it does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, most of the time it doesn't and you just, yeah, you're kind of, as a producer, you have that visibility yeah, of everything that's going on <laughs> and, uh, and, and that context. And yeah, a lot of times you're just, you, you portray this very positive, you know, kind of happy go lucky attitude yeah, to everybody, but deep screaming. down inside you're like, this whole thing is just going to fall apart in any moment. Picture <laughs> <laughs> like, you saying in an office like, please don't fall apart, please don't fall apart. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah.
I've never, I've never heard that kind of like side of it before. Where it's like, yeah, you guys are doing amazing, and the door shuts, you just screaming. Like, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's you know, any producer who would tell you different, I think, would be lying to you. So, yeah, deep down inside, we all just, uh, yeah, we we don't know how it gets done, but we want, you know, it, like I said, our goal is to keep the team motivated, keep mm-hmm. them happy, keep them focused, and um, and you know they. They trust you. You're representing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you know, a lot of ways a speaker for the team, and so, um, you know, you want to make sure that like you're not down, right? Like you're not freaking out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a domino you effect. Keep an even keel. What do you do yeah. to like so. settle your mind though? Because I mean, like a lot of people, like me and Jordan, like a lot of the people we know, is we play games to relax. But we know a lot of game devs and like I've worked in games myself. And when I was doing it, I didn't really play games. So what do you do to relax and take your mind off it? I, I actually play games. You do play games. Helps me. <laughs> yeah, I do. And that, that helps me kind of just take my mind off of uh, a lot of that. So right, cool. I, I try to not play the games that I'm making because then mm-hmm. that gets me into the hole of, oh, we forgot to fix this bug. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, oh, oh, we... You know, what, whatever. It's just, it reminds me too much of my day-to-day. Right. It becomes um, synonymous with work. Yeah, yeah. And so I try to avoid it. And, and it sucks because, um, like, for example, you know, when I joined Madden, I was a huge fan of Madden before I went and joined that team. I had played that game for, I don't even know, I think like 15 straight years I bought a copy wow. of right. the game. And, you know, the time that I spent working on Madden, I didn't play it outside the office ever. And that was the first time in my life that I had oh, wow. played a Madden game outside the it office. It must have been so yeah. surreal I, owning that all those games and then going into working on the franchise that you loved. Yeah, I've been really lucky uh, in that regard. <laughs> really, really lucky. Um, you know, getting to work on Madden, getting to work on Destiny, which I was a big fan of before mm-hmm. I went to go work um, with Bungie on that. Um and, uh, and then, you know, coming over to turn 10 and getting to work on Forza Horizon, like pff, Forza Horizon is literally the only racing game that I would ever play. Really? Uh, I don't care about any of the other ones. <laughs> and I don't even consider it a racing game. I consider it an open world game. And, uh, and yeah, getting to work on that, um, it was, yeah, I've been super lucky. I, not everyone gets that kind of luck. Yeah, well, it's amazing to hear how passionate you are about like the projects you've been on where you're like, yeah, I'm so lucky to be on that. Yeah. It's. So when it got to the point where you'd like move from Bungie, we were like, yes, I can play Destiny again. <laughs> yeah. And I did. Yeah, I did. I played Destiny a ton after I left Bungie. Um, I have several I questions doing... for you in regards to Destiny when we've got through some <laughs> yeah, of this we, stuff. We've, we've got a Destiny section we definitely want to get to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, I played it a ton. Um, I don't play it as much anymore because a lot of my friends ended up moving on. But yeah, I... Um, yeah, I started playing it, enjoying it again, mm-hmm. uh, especially with my friends who were big fans too. Um, and uh, and it was good too because when I did try playing Destiny when I was in the you know in the office um, working there, it, it was a combination of of course like you just see all the flaws yeah. uh, instead yeah. of enjoying the game. Um, you're reminded of things that still need to happen, but then at the same time too, then when you're trying to play with your friends, then there's the questions of like you know, whatever. Why didn't you guys do this? Or, hey, can you guys do that all the time? And, yeah, I don't Did like you ever either, hide so. something in the game for your only your friends? <laughs> no, I, I, I w- yeah, I've been asked that before actually to do that. And uh, as, 
Yeah, I've never <laughs> I've never done that. I've never wanted to really like do it because I just feel like it's unfli- unfair to yeah, yeah. all the it. other players who play the game who love it. I <laughs> love find, it probably even more, right? So. Yeah, I'll find some random thing like you know, John is a dick or just something underneath of a car <laughs> or something. <Yeah. laughs> that was awesome, dude. I wanted to ask like me and me and Jordan are like predominantly when we're 90s kids. So like I I was born in 91. Jordan's slightly less because he was born in 95, so he doesn't really remember much of the 90s. But that was when where like my gaming thing started. So I started. We had a NES, and then we didn't have a SNES onto N64. That kind of era. So where did you start with your games? Like what did you start playing first? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, super relevant because there's a Netflix show called Game On right Just now. Just started watching it, yeah. Um, and I was watching it a couple days ago and getting very nostalgic. So let that be the stage for where I'm, what I'm about to get very into. Cool. So I started gaming um, <clears throat> at the age of five. So this was 1983. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, really my grandfather, he used to just take me to the mall on the weekends, every weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, and we'd go to the arcade and he would just give me like five bucks and quarters. And then I just started loving, you know, playing arcade, arcade games at that point. I, I still remember playing tons of like, at the time, um, Super Pac-Man, uh, at some point, Double Dragon, that was probably a few years afterward, um, Cuber, et cetera. So that's kind of where I started to love gaming. Okay. And then, uh, I got, I don't remember what year it was, but I got an Atari 2600 for Christmas, mm-hmm. um, which was good. And I played that a lot, but the thing that really like where I went all in and spent an enormous amount of time gaming was when the NES came out in the U S right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, was lucky enough to get that, um, uh, for Christmas that year. I think it was 87. Uh, and, uh, one of the, outside of Mario Duck Hunt, one of the first games I got was Castlevania, um, which I spent so much time playing. I still go back and play it. I have fond memories of that. And, uh, and then the first Final Fantasy game, um, as well. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was pretty much hooked at that point. Like yeah, I never played those the older then, the older ones. I never played the original Castlevania. I've never played the original Final Fantasy either. It's two that I'd like to get. Maybe I'll uh, I'll have to go. Castlevania back is really good. Yeah, it's it it yeah. it holds up. It actually does. Yeah, it does. I like how I've not played that yet. You're the older one of us, Harrison. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, I don't know why. <laughs> I had a lot of NES games, but yeah, they were just some that we never had. Like I always remember some weird wrestling games and Marble Madness. I think we spoke about before with the uh, the black marble that used to chase you and knock you off. Like that was terrifying back in the day. <laughs> how times have changed. Yeah, I know. I would like to see like a modern game of that make it really full of action with a, a giant marble trying to smash you off things. I think that'd be really cool. Just real life. Just set up a like a running course and someone dressed yeah, up yeah. as a giant marble. <laughs> I think there was there actually was a game, the, the 3D marble run that was on the 360, I think, when the arcade started. I think I know what you're talking about. Mm. Do you remember? Yeah. It, it was like a proper obstacle course one. one. Yeah, anyway, sorry. I'm getting I'm getting like <laughs> nostalgia thinking about old games now. <laughs> Me and Jordan were talking before we before we started, just before you joined, that we were trying to think when the classification of triple A games actually started. Because mm. well like was it the the first game that sort of came to mind for us two, Jordan, was it? It was Halo Two. So we were thinking like that was like the big huge game that sort yeah, of rocked huge the generation. Would, is that what you'd think as well, or is there a time when you can think? Hmm. I, I think in terms of a, a like a term that started getting used, definitely early 2000s, 
maybe it was around Halo 2. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't recall when it started the term, but the first game I think of when I think of AAA is actually Final Fantasy 7. I've seen that a lot actually, yeah. Yeah, because that had a huge team like it had a huge budget, a massive like marketing budget, which a lot of times defines AAA. Right. And uh, yeah, it came out to a lot of fanfare and was, yeah, that year and for even two years after that, it was still just such a massive game. Mm-hmm. So that's that's to me like the first real AAA game. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So do you think the classification for AAA then, is it the dev team size, the budget, the just general money that was being put into it? What do you think the classification is? Yeah, I think it's the budget all up, right? Yeah. Which includes obviously dev, but everything mm-hmm. else that goes into it. Um, I mean, it's evolved like over the years, right? I think like AAA probably back in the early 2000s, I want to say, I recall it being like in the, you know, 25, 30 million, 40 million ballpark or something yeah. like that. Um, and now it's like 100, yeah. 150. <laughs> yep. 200 million and that that's just like the start like it, and it goes up from there um but yeah it's definitely the amount of money uh spent on it i don't, I don't actually even think a certain number of devs uh qualify i mean usually though with with the kind of money we're talking about it's definitely like a couple hundred at least um developers right for sure but yeah what's been the most expensive the game that's been made do you know that off the top of your head because I, d- I don't think so I. what even was the question sorry um off the top of your head, what's the most expensive game that's ever been made? I can't, I can't think what comes Ooh. to mind. I'm going to Google it while you two have a uh, think, so I've okay, got it. Yeah, you, you, you shoot a Goog. Uh, I think I want to say, because again, it includes marketing, right? Yeah. I think it was one of the Call of Duty games at 500 million. 500 million, God. Could it have been Modern Warfare 2? Because I remember that one was absolutely huge, wasn't it, when it came out? Yeah, because Modern Warfare 1 was massive. Yeah, Modern Warfare 2 was 200 million. Oh right, okay. And Destiny was five hundred million. There you apparently. go. It was your own game. To this website. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I should have known that. Yeah. He says <laughs> that was uh, that was. I think that was that's more complicated than that because it was uh, it was actually a deal for three Destiny titles, right? For five hundred million. Oh right, and then okay. their ratings so. as well, wasn't it? Or something like that, like the publisher payments, something. If they got nine out of ten. Yeah. Yeah, it's well. I would say typical or typical uh, publisher dev type of contract stuff, where you're getting certain bonuses for achieving certain marks and and ratings or like timely delivery and stuff. There's so, there's a lot that goes into that that can determine bonuses for sure. That must be really hard when you're dealing with such a big dev team that are doing something that's creative to try and hit like deadlines when you've got when you're thinking about texturing and modeling and then oh the code doesn't fit together here, so you've got to recode it like. That just like bring that just gives me anxiety just even thinking about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing that makes it easier over time is like um, if you think about even somebody like Bungie making the first Destiny, they didn't start at like several hundred yeah. people. They started at you know fifty or so, yeah, yeah. and then I think by the time that they shipped Destiny One, um, I wasn't there for that because I was there for Rise of Iron, but. Destiny 1, I want to say they were maybe somewhere around 250, 300 people wow, okay. uh, by the time that they shipped it. And that was, what, over like five years mm-hmm. or so? Obviously, it didn't take that long to make the second game, and the team was bigger, yeah. But yeah. then a lot of like the foundational tools that you need, mm-hmm. uh, that you're developing to begin with, all those pipelines and workflows, et cetera, all that stuff's done 
And it's just really like iterating on that to make it better, faster, easier to use. Um, and of course, trying to handle the economy of scale of bringing more people and trying to use those tools at the same time too. So, right. okay. so I would say it gets easier yeah. as you're making the sequels and adding more and more people. I mean, yeah, it's still hard to manage more people, mm-hmm. but right. um, okay. you've already kind of done it the first time and that was the hard one. Uh, Noter in the chat has just said GTA 5 was an expensive one. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what that would have been. Was that the 500 million one? Maybe. Like, I did is that why they're putting it, it on every it console? <laughs> just to get the money <laughs> worth out of it. Recouping. Costs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Between 137.5 million to 265 million, apparently. Okay, so still quite a lot. Still, oh. still a, a so for what considering for <laughs> still, one game, still quite a lot. Yes, Harrison. <laughs> still a lot <laughs> it's of quite pocket a large change. amount of money. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of pocket change. That. <laughs> so it's something <laughs> I wanted to ask about in terms of like, as we said about graphics and art, and then like the actual dev pipeline of how you're working through to see something to like completion. How does it work with sort of iterative improvement when you're trying to like budget something like that? So if you've got artists working to a certain point, like for example with Destiny One and Two that had like like you said, they had their defined looks already. But if you're going through into like a new generation, how do you sort of control what limit you've got there? Sorry if that's quite a complex question. It's kind of I'm trying to untie it in my head. By a new generation, I assume you mean like a new console generation. Yeah, yeah. So like going from the Xbox yeah. onto the three sixty or 360 Xbox One, and then on obviously onto the Series X. We're going through that now, actually, right? Mm-hmm. Like with, um, I mean, this is public knowledge, so. Yeah, yeah. But taking Forza Horizon and taking it to like Xbox Series X, yeah. going into a new platform, uh, a lot of times you're really, one, you're trying to figure out, because usually most devs find out pretty late, like what the final spec is really going <laughs> to end yeah. up being. <laughs> And then uh, from there, you're, you know, whatever new features you're getting, like, of course, Series X has ray tracing mm-hmm. um, and a, a lot of other things in, in terms of load time optimization, stuff like that for hardware, faster SSDs and whatnot. But um, you're trying to see, like, what the features are. And then from your game and what your game engine has today, yeah. then, like, what improvements you can make to uh, adapt those new, that new technology, those new features for as low a cost as possible, right? Because doing um, an upgrade version of your game, like that's taking away from either the live service you're providing or the sequel that you're supposed to be working on, et cetera. So you're trying to find the biggest bangs for your buck uh, along the way. And I know like when, well, Destiny 2 is a bit different um, when we were working on that, but because it was a whole new game, we knew what platforms we were going to, including Mm -hmm. PC, and so we knew like what our limitations would end up being and then where, what enhancements we could end up making. And the same thing with, with Horizon on, on Series X. Right. Um, we know like what we're capable of today uh, and what we could specifically target to like make it stand out a bit more. And so you target those kind of things. Like what are the things, especially visually, that stand out? Uh, because otherwise, for most people... It's going to look like the same game. Mm-hmm. Even if like you're making a major leap, like we are with going from Xbox and PS4 to the, this next gen, like now most games from this last gen, they could run at like 60 FPS where they couldn't before, right? right. Are people really going to care about that though? Mm-hmm. Um, most console gamers might not or might not really know that they should care yeah. or notice right away. But if they all of a sudden see like 
ray tracing or, oh, now you have like zero load times in the game, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's going to probably get them to maybe upgrade to the console or with some developers, like purchase the Series X or PS5 version of their game again. Yeah. Um, even if they have the other version. So, right. I mean, um, so yeah, you definitely want things that like back of the box features yeah, to yeah. stick out. <laughs> right. I mean, Forza is very, um, I mean, it's known for looking amazing. Like, it's one of the games that has mm. always been very good with its like physics based rendering. Isn't it? It's always all your texture work, all your materials, how shiny and beautiful and mirror finish all the cars are. And that, I guess that's something what everyone wants to see with the ray trace lighting, don't they? And the, the trailer that they released for it, or what you guys released for it, looked absolutely amazing. It made me interested, like, straight away. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been into racing games, but I haven't played many the past few years. But it's definitely made me think, okay, maybe I might start getting into that again. So, well done. You've done a good job there. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I take no credit for that whatsoever. That was the the motorsport team and all the amazing work that they've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like, uh, but yes, that that's totally right. That's the point is make it different, mm -hmm. have a differentiator in there and make it pop so that when people see it, it's like, oh, wow. Um, yes, yeah. I want to try that thing. Right, so the stuff that's coming out nowadays is insane in terms of like graphically. I always find it hilarious looking back when you're just like PlayStation One games. It's like wow, it's so realistic, and then you look back now, it's like wow, I was wow, it's not realistic. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, it's come a long way, right? Like I, it's I love old games, but it's getting harder and harder for me to go back. Yeah, um, and enjoy at least like the early PS One, PS Two, Three Sixty era. Yeah. Uh, because it just yeah, the visual quality is just taking away my immersion now at this point. Yeah, it's getting them onto the newer screens, isn't it? That's the problem. Like when you're playing it on like, mm -hmm. like I plug my N64 into this my big monitor here, and it's like a 50 inch TV, and it's like you, have to, you like that, like sat back, like this is the worst. <laughs> to sit on the other side of the room. Yeah, I've yeah, I bought a little device hurts. that's hopefully going to make it somewhat more playable, but it's probably not going to. I don't. You don't want to emulate things, do you? Because it takes away from the actual game. Like it's, and it's nice to use the real controllers and everything. Like we've got. A, what was the new SNES they brought out? The the li the little tiny one, the SNES mini classic. SNES classic. Yeah, we ended up getting one of those, so we could have all the classic games on there. And it, it does make a difference that it's got a HDMI cable. It's so nice, and they look perfectly crisp on your big TV. I wish we could get more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean that would that would be really nice. I have the. Uh the nes classic mm -hmm. uh and snes classic and they don't look too bad on my tv but mm -hmm. i think just uh maybe it's just my fondness for that era yeah. growing up in that era but um that 8-bit and 16-bit you know graphic generation yeah. it just still looks fine enough right? yeah, like yeah. it doesn't take away my immersion compared to like 3d you know full polygon worlds like in ps1 and yeah. and, and onward where it's like, like yeah. Playing Quake on the Sega Saturn when everything's just brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where is it you get the limitations for the hardware then? Is that something where you're just told about it? Or do you just kind of get given a kit and you're just like, go for it, knock yourselves out, enjoy. Yeah, see what you can do. Getting new. Yeah. I mean, I've been like through a few errors at this point. Well, the Xbox, well, when I entered into games, it was 360... Uh, PS3 and um, when I was at EA and then as we were transitioning to Xbox One, PS4, I went through that 
and then now this this next one. And the thing that's always been the same for me, and I don't know how it was for people even earlier in game dev, that I've noticed is, yes, you learn about the hardware, you kind of get an early look at what the specs might end up being uh, and what features they might support, but that that just like changes and evolves over time. And I'm by time, I mean like years. <laughs> Um, usually, and, uh, and then you don't really typically even get hardware to work off of. Like you're, you're basically trying to rebuild the specs on a PC, uh, and using that as your, you know, self bit test kit for the time being until you get a real dev kit, which you normally, at least in my experience has been, you don't get your hands on that until like maybe a year at the most before a console launches. Um, if you're lucky. Uh, and so a lot of times you end up getting the hardware and if you're trying to like ship day and date with a console, then it's like, okay, now you're also scrambling to make sure that the, the code that you were working on and the optimizations you were making that you think will work on there actually do work. Oh no, <laughs> so. that sounds terrifying. You get it, it through, does, yeah. like, what do you mean these are the specs? What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it, it's hard. Like, a lot of times you just can't mimic some of the features, right? Especially as consoles get more and more sophisticated. Yeah. Like, um, I haven't gotten to work on the PS5 hardware, but I know friends who do work on that. Mm -hmm. uh, not on the hardware, but work on games for it. And uh, and I know that for them, um, you can't mimic Sony's SSD tech, like, on any machine. Really? You know, you can... The best thing you could do is just buy... Uh, an M2 drive for your PC and try your best. Yeah, just see if it works. <laughs> yeah. 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 God. It's so weird seeing where they are now, like consoles yeah. compared to where they were. Who was it we were talking to the other week, Harrison? They were saying like, this is the first time where they've looked at a console and they're going, oh yeah, this will compete with the PC. Like this, it'll just yeah, compete for the price. I can't remember who it was. I can't remember who we were talking to. It just astounds me. I never yeah. thought we'd get to this point. No, I know. Like so many people are struggling to choose between, obviously, between the PS5 and the Series X. Like I've always been a, an Xbox gamer myself. Well, I, it was Nintendo and Xbox, and which is still what I play predominantly now. But His I don't favorite know. Consoles, like, the Nintendo Wii. You use yeah, it daily. <laughs> 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 I still have all that. I've still got my Wii U somewhere as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is do you think that the PS5 is really that much more advanced than the Series X's technology, or like? Uh, do you have a preference? No, or? from like a storage mm -hmm. standpoint, yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, a little ahead for sure. Right. But overall, console and I and I don't say this is just like a homer, mm -hmm. like of working for the company. <laughs> but overall, um, I do think that the Series X is like overall the more powerful mm -hmm. um, piece of hardware, right? Um, and at the end of the day, though, uh, it's games, mm -hmm. though. Uh, first and foremost, I think the Switch shows that. Like, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they've already won over sixty million units, and they just released like what a couple years ago. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's the games, and uh, Sony makes great games. Um. Xbox also has like now an, a massive lineup of game studios that are making great games yeah, too, and Game Pass as well, which is such a great deal. But from yeah, hardware standpoint. You know, I don't think you go wrong with either one, but if you're like, oh, I got to get the very best one, mm -hmm. Series X is probably there. That's yeah. what I'm leaning towards that. And it's for me, it's mainly because of the control. Like, our listeners know that I, I'm just not a fan of the PlayStation 4 control. The control sticks in the wrong place. 
It doesn't it just, matter where the control stick is. It does. Just it matters. It matters. We have this it, argument every time the PlayStation brought up. Uh, it's just like, yeah, luckily but, we're not in the same room, Harrison. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I will say, though, that I've got to give it to Scuff, the custom controller company, as they've now made a PS4 control with the control stick in the other place. So that That's has made great. me like... I might have to check that okay, out. Okay, like, you like... See, see now you're interested happening? as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with Harrison on this one. I uh, I mean, I always loved the DualShock controller mm-hmm. in PS1, PS2 days, but when I got a 360 and I got my hands on that controller, yeah. to me, that was the best controller ever made. And I mean, you know, still they've iterated on it and it's still great. Yeah. It's still getting better and better, but uh, I, I just love the Xbox controller. Same. That the thumbstick is in the right. It is place. exactly. <laughs> I mean, I will say, Tesknota in the chat has just said your control stick is on the wrong place. About me with loads of exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those things where because I've played both quite a lot. Like I use an Xbox pad or a PlayStation pad for PC. It doesn't really yeah. bother me too much because I've played both quite extensively. Like I grew up PlayStation. I don't really mind, but there is always yeah. that thing of if I do play one console extensively it does mess me up when I'm changing back. It's like mm-hmm. driving a different car, almost. Yeah, yeah. You like you get back in, you're like, this yeah. does not feel right. What is this? <laughs> just pressing all the buttons, CDs firing out. You just, you don't know yeah, what exactly. Doing. I have a question specifically about ta- the time constraints and the design ch- choices, things like that, when the games are coming through. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that you've seen in any of the games you've worked in where some things had to be removed, where you're just like, oh, man... That sucks. <laughs> I really wish it made it in there. Yeah. Oh, like, no. All the time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's all the time. That's nonstop. It's always a trade-off, right? Um, I wish we could work on a game forever, but that's not the economical realities of the situation. So uh, you're always cutting things. Because, you know, when you go through, I don't know how, how much people know about this, but when you go through, like, your game concept phase your ideation phase, uh, the game that you end up, well, let's say you go through the phase, you make your presentation and your studio leadership or your publisher is like, yep, we're signing on for that. Um, cool. Like we're, you know, we have a good idea of what the budget might be. Um, and we love your game idea. Well, at that point in time, that's the biggest version of the game that you'll ever have. And that, and you're going to ship like maybe somewhere between 50 to 80% of that. Um, and, and 80% is very generous. Like it's usually more like 50% um, or so, because as you're going through in the next phase, when you're going through pre-production, you're doing a lot of prototyping, you're trying to really then dive down into the tech and your pipelines and workflows you need, tools you need, you're going to start cutting things and cutting things and cutting things. And by the time you get out of pre-production, The goal is that you're entering production only focusing on the game that you're really going to make. And even at that point, like when you exit pre-production, what you're aiming to build is still like 10 to 20% of that is not going to ship. So, wow. Yeah, it's, it's just cuts and cuts and cuts along the way. And they have to be very strategic cuts, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't want to mess up really what the core of your game is about. Uh, You don't want to destroy the fun um, and you want to make sure all the pieces still work together well. So, um, yeah, like sometimes you have to make a cut and that cut ends up resulting in you either having to cut other features as a result. Um, 
uh, or you end up having to rework features that were kind of semi-dependent on the other feature that you're cutting. Um, right. So in order for everything to still make sense. So, yeah, it's an endless battle. That's yeah, really that's hard to do. <laughs> that, it sounds like soul crushing for the person who's like being like, oh, I love this thing. And it's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Is there anything specifically you can think of that comes to mind where you're just like you, the one thing that like almost keeps you up at night? Like, wow, man, I wish yeah, I was you're in really game. attached to. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are you allowed to say? Well, I'm trying to think of if there's things that I could actually say that are specific oh, okay. without getting into trouble. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, don't get yourself in trouble over it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, I would say probably nothing that i can speak to um but i will say like the the worst version of of this uh was i mentioned it early on but when i was working on madden and we were rebuilding franchise mode Mm -hmm. um the the franchise mode that we pitched and the franchise mode that we shipped in madden 13 we probably only shipped like 25 to 30 percent of that franchise. oh wow whoa that's insane. And that was that was including, you know, taking a team that was initially like um it was a small team of 9 people and growing it out to like 44 I think it was across three different studios um and still not being able to ship but like that smaller percentage That's of insane. overall feature set we had. That's insane, yeah. dude. Oh my god. It's like yeah. you, you, you But that's what happens when you only have a year to develop things. Oh, yeah, so. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to be so clever with things, don't you? Like, there's that whole thing with like with Nintendo with Majora's Mask. That was the same kind of thing, wasn't it? After Ocarina of Time was so successful for the N64, they said, right, you can make another Zelda game for this console because it took us so long to make the engine, but you've got to use these assets. Thank you for subscribing, Big Dog J. Sorry, just got a massive thing shouted over the screen. <laughs> yeah, so with that, they said, you've got a year to make this game and you're only, you can only use these assets and that's it. And they made, remade a bit more music and it's like... It's almost like like with your what you were saying then you're like you're getting a big chunk of marble and you're trying to chisel all these parts off to make sure that the sculpture underneath still kind of makes sense that David still has his arms yeah. or whatever you know they've got the Greek sculpture. <laughs> 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 There's something that I, I wanted to move on. Like I, I'm aware that we're getting up to 50 minutes already and like our episodes are only like hour long. So either we're gonna go a little bit longer than planned or we're gonna have to chop something out of this as well. I wanted to move on to asking about multiplayer focus in games that we're seeing a lot now. So for the past few years, we've seen more and more shifting onto multiplayer games, like whether it's in shooters like Destiny 2 or Call of Duty or Apex or Warzone, that kind of stuff. Like Obviously, a lot of people do like Battle Royale games now, so we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. Or even into driving games like Forza, like you said, or Burnout, or when you're getting like Rocket League, which is like sports games spliced in with racing games. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a particular reason that we're seeing such a shift into more online gaming from big studios? Oh, yeah. There's a very easy reason for that. Yeah? Is it money? Uh, creating... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Creating content is very expensive yeah yeah that's the bottom line mm-hmm. and so like if you can just have people play in multiplayer mm-hmm. uh that means that you are not making the content they're making the content yeah. every time that they go into a match right okay. uh and then and i know this is on super insidious but like uh then on top of that if they're continuing to engage and play the game like then oh like we can make more money off of them yeah yeah Understand um, that. Uh, of course, it still costs a lot of money to continue also putting out like new maps 
yeah. and seasons of things and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like the cost died down when the game <laughs> shifts for a live multiplayer game, but but still, it's like oh, we can now monetize them and and it's just much cheaper to um, like when you compare that to something like um, uh, take any single player narrative game, mm-hmm. it ships, it makes it's hu- it makes almost all of its money in the first like month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, like it, it gets a, uh, you know, some expansion, you know, DLC, uh, and that thing is whatever, 10, 20 bucks, um, a small percentage of the population who played the game actually buy that. Uh, mm-hmm. but that expansion was expensive to make. Yeah. Yeah. I got um, that. Yeah. Right. And, uh, or even take like MMOs, the MMO I play final fantasy, mm-hmm. like that, making all the content required, the raids, the dungeons, all that kind of stuff, the storyline, super expensive. Yeah, and yeah. you really, really, really need to hope that people continue to play and stay subscribed so that you keep that money funnel going. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, you're just better off making another game. Yeah, I understand that, yeah. So that's why we're seeing more like seasons then coming out, like when you get like Apex season one, two, three, four, five. Battle passes and they bring and out like the iteration that. stuff. Yeah, and it's it's a good thing for those developers who can do that, um, who have that type of size of audience and can just continue working on the live game and coming up with you know new ways to keep people interested, keep them playing, uh, and then of course continue to hopefully make money um, mm-hmm. so that the game stays alive too. But as like a creator, um, I don't know. I think that that part can be a bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the multiplayer space, because. Yeah, it's at the end of the day, you're just, you know, making maps and seasons of things like all mm-hmm. the time. And you're not really like working from the ground up on on doing something big. It's more maintenance. Um, right, okay. Feels more like just a conveyor belt type of thing. Yeah, I get you. I get you. So do you think larger studios then, they're just going to continue like this ramp up into like until it kind of fades out of popularity with all these battle passes and just like more online games do you think that's the way it's going to go until the popularity just kind of fizzles out well i don't think the popularity will fizzle out for sure i think as like more and more of the world can get access to gaming uh which i think will happen once we have like google streaming service and micro and um xboxes xcloud stuff like once that's more broadly uh available Mm -hmm. uh for everybody and easier to access then i think more and more people will jump into multiplayer uh, because it's easy to get into. Whether or not you have fun is another thing, but it's easy to get into, right? Yeah. I think the thing is for these for big AAA game companies, the EAs, the Activisions, et cetera, like, um, you, you have to have still like a very blended portfolio of games because at the end of the day, yeah, multiplayer has a big audience, but um, there's still people, a lot of people, who like to just play single-player games, um, or like maybe uh, what I would call like small multiplayer games. Okay. Um, like an example of that would be something like more Destiny, where it is very it's online focused. It's heavy mm-hmm. multiplayer, obviously, or online. But you're in small groups with small people. You could just play with a tiny group of friends if you want. Yeah. Um, or with a tiny group of strangers, and it's not just like this constant, you know, it's barrage going into. It's not like Warzone. War zone, yeah. you know? <laughs> Um, so I think, you know, they still need to do that. And I, I think like, if you look at, um, EA, they're a good example of this. They killed, um, I forget what the code name was of that Star Wars game they were making with Amy Hennig a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, because they wanted to focus on, you know, online multiplayer games. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And um, and they they do do that, but then they release Jedi Fallen Order, yeah. which has been great. And they're gonna continue to release more uh, single player games uh, like that. And they, that's what they need to do, yeah, because so. you just don't want to just put all your eggs in that in that basket for multiplayer. Yeah, they started their own a second studio, didn't they, to uh, do the next Star Wars? I think it's either that or Titanfall Three. Yeah, they're so not being. They have Motive in Montreal. Yeah, that's um, right. It was the same studio I used to work in actually in Montreal. All oh, right has been renamed probably like 20 times in the last 20 years. <laughs> um, but it's been motive for a few years now and they built that. Uh, I think Ray, uh, Jade Raymond was the one who was, who founded that there uh, to work on Star Wars. They're shipping squadrons. That looks uh, great. Later this year, I want to say. Yeah, excited about that one. Um, but they also helped out on um, Star Wars Battlefront, the campaign mode for that. I am excited to see the VR mode for squadrons. That's something that I think is going to be very interesting. Harrison's holding yeah. back yes. his excitement. He's look. I'm he's genuinely to. about to explode in, I'm like, internally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even have a VR headset, but I'll probably end up buying one for it. That's the thing. You can borrow mine, mate. Power it through what? My phone. <laughs> you got a laptop. Plugging it into my Switch. VR like, ready. Holding it against my head. Just tape it to your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the with the like we were saying then about the the more story driven games. Do you think that we'll see? AAA game studios, they're more concentrating on more of just online stuff or smaller multiplayer games, like you were saying then, and would see more of the smaller indie studios concentrating on the story-driven games. Because that's kind of what I feel like's hmm. happening now, at least, anyway. I mean, that's not the case for every game studio, obviously, because we get you know, we get the God of War, we get the Last of Us kind of thing with the big, big games like that. But a lot of the smaller studios seem to very much concentrate on the small story stuff. Do you think it's because, is it like the back end keep up to do, like you said, it's expensive to keep running the online stuff. Do you think, is, is that the reason that they can ship something small and then get it out there and it's done? Or do you think there's Just another reason? Just to get cash, for like cash yeah. flow in. Yeah. Um, hmm, that's a good question. I think like in the indie double A space, uh, it's, well, it's a lot easier to do a narrative based game, right? Because you're not having to worry about that infrastructure yeah. that's going to be needed for online. Um, or even like the, the engineering talent needed as well, mm -hmm. which can be pretty pricey, um, uh, to develop that, that component too. So, uh, I, most of the indie games and double A games that I've seen trend in that direction like if they do any kind of multiplayer it's usually like a co-op uh multiplayer couch co-op yeah. um sometimes like a online multiplayer but it's like a it's more like a couch co-op but just in online fashion yeah, yeah. um so yeah it's just it, it it simplifies things a lot um and not only that but at the end of the day too at least i've met a lot of indie people i have a lot of indie developer friends and from what i've seen um a lot of them have a lot of creative narrative focus ideas for the storytelling that they want to do in their game. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're not worried about trying to make, you know, uh, an apex or, yeah. or a Fortnite or something like that. That's not really their goal. Like mm -hmm. they just have this small vision in mind that they, they want to execute. Yeah, like a, the, it, You tend to find that the core experience of the game or the, the story that they're coming up with more lends itself to what the mechanics of the game is. You know, more than thinking, oh, we're going to make a shooter that's online. They tend to think like, um, what's a good example? Like um, Braid with the time mechanic. It's like, it's part of the narrative for that to make sense. So that's the thing that you do. 
And yeah, I suppose it's a good yeah. way to, to aim at it that way. Like we, we've got a lot of small game devs who are listeners to the podcast. Like we had Ben Hickling on recently to talk about his game Exodiac. I don't know if you're familiar with that game at all. No, I'm making a note. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It's, um, it's just very much like st- the old Star Fox. Yeah. Like on rail shooter. I absolutely loved it because I'm a big Same fan man. of Star Fox games. So good. Yeah, it's such good fun. And it looks phenomenal. It's so like 80s synth vibe, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, it's brilliant. Nice. Um, is there any like insight that you can give to any small studios in, in reference to what we've said about how you sort of manage making games in your pipelines? Yeah, so... Um I actually get this question asked a lot. I bet. Um, like whenever I go and, and talk to students and game dev and stuff. And uh, my advice always is just to, um, when you're, for a small studio or mm-hmm. even just indie, a uh, couple of people for a small group of people, friends that are trying to make their game or want to make a game, like focus on your core. Yeah. Like why you're actually doing it. Uh, and make sure that that thing, that small thing, whatever it is, that core foundational thing is amazing. Don't like go through the game development process, especially during pre-production and just think about, you know, the 50 other things that we can add that could make the game amazing. Yeah. Like focus on the core thing and then like a limited number, two, three other things uh, that are really going to stand out, um, uh, make your game stand out. Right. Um, right. That'll keep your team small. It'll keep your budget small. Uh, and also too, it'll allow you to like, you know, ship the thing sooner rather than yeah. later, uh, which when you're done with it, you'll learn a lot more once you actually finished the thing and then go work on the next thing, whether it's like a sequel or maybe another game that uses mm-hmm. a lot of the same, uh, concepts. Um, you'll just get better and better and better over time. So that's great advice. Thank you. So yeah, f- find your golden nugget, your little nugget mechanic. That is really good advice. Yeah. You made me want to develop a game by saying that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Feeling ramped up, Jordan, ready to go. <laughs> Let's do this. Yes. Pumped. Also, in reference to sort of small games and older games, is there anything that you think about from old games that you miss that you would like to see in more common mm. games? Like we were talking about old style cheats, like DK mode from Goldeneye, that kind of thing, like, which would be hard to implement in a game like uh, Warzone. You know, like we were saying, it would be cool if everyone suddenly became DK mode for like five minutes. And then, you know, is there anything <laughs> yeah. like that that comes to mind? Yeah, actually, there's a thing imme- that immediately comes to mind for me. And, and But for context, like, I'm definitely very much, you know, a long time online MMO type gamer, very social gamer. Um, and so for me, the thing that I think that the industry has missed for a long time that only really happened, I would say once, and that was at this point, 17 years ago was star Wars galaxies. Don't know if you guys ever played that. Never played it. I know of it. No, the game was like in retrospect, the game was an absolute mess, but (laughs) the part that made it stand out was the game was so community driven, uh, and community feature centric, right? Um, from the introduction of social classes, which I still think to this day, no other game has done, mm-hmm. um, to a lot of like the mechanics in the game, the features in the game that would allow you to, uh, not just build your own community, but also to do things with your community, like create your own events in the game using tools that were in the game, oh, cool. um, create your own type of content in the game, not like a Minecraft type of thing, mm-hmm. but in terms of like 
you know, bounty hunting other players because they did a thing that they shouldn't have been doing and all that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> that's a part that's missing from games um, that I think we need to have back, especially the community building aspect of it, because a lot of games, despite, you know, huge efforts in accessibility, um, diverse characters and stuff like that, what they don't actually do is make or try to promote real inclusive communities yeah, yeah and galaxies did i don't think that that was their real intent but that's what they did right um and it fostered an amazing game community as a result that a lot of people have fond memories to this day about the game about a game that was a bad game so well it's all about the community and the the people you play with isn't it that's what it's mm-hmm. all about like yeah. a bad game can be great with friends and if yeah, you can make yeah, tons of friends playing a bad exactly. game that's yeah. amazing <laughs> i think i, I can yeah. if you compare it to something like destiny like i love destiny too I'm currently on a break because I I need to actually do things currently yeah. like work, um, but it's it's so easy to get into something like even if you look for a group or LF, LFG for yeah uh, it's just once you've done it you're kind of done like you don't have that like let's build a community aspect you're just like look I need to get this catalyst just help me just do it <laughs> just <laughs> help that's it. yeah um, so it sounds really weird that that's like what like did you say 17 years ago yep that game launched 17 years oh, ago oh wow. wow that's i, I want to see it bring it back hd remaster yeah. <laughs> i've i've got a burrito prediction for you right now live it's going to come back on the twitch <laughs> i think that the bounty hunting mechanic that you just mentioned then will come back as a live thing on the new Star Wars Bounty Hunter game that's coming out. Mm. I think yeah. so. And that that was very hush-lipped there. <laughs> it's like, can't say anything. Yeah. So like hunting people, you know, like on Dark Souls, if you, um, what's the, is it the Dark Moon? What's it called? There's certain covenants you can get where if someone, the guilty Dark Moon or something, and you invade them automatically to find them in their world. Yeah, I know I think it's going to be similar to that. I can't so there you go. There's called. one for you. Yeah. If it comes yeah. true, let us know. Well, that mechanic was really unique for its time in uh, in Galaxies because uh, in the game, at some point after launch, they introduced Jedi, like you could become a Jedi. Oh, right. And, uh, and then when you became a Jedi, you still, it was during the time of the Empire from a storyline standpoint, so you just couldn't go out in the open and start hitting things with a lightsaber oh, in right. front of other people. So you had to kind of train and level up out in the outskirts of whatever zone in the game, making mm-hmm. sure people didn't see you. If they saw you use any force powers or saw you with your lightsaber ignited, you would immediately show up on the bounty hunter boards. And that bounty hunter oh, could cool. bring, uh, you know, an entire group of friends with them. They'd all party together and they could take you down and you would, you know, you would end up dying, of course, usually, or running away uh, unless you were powerful enough. Yeah. But if you died, you could only die three times a week and you would lose your entire character. Whoa. That sounds amazing. That does sound really good. It's like Ooh, Escape let's from get Tarkov back. before Escape from Tarkov. Yeah, yeah. In, in space. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, Jordan, did you want to get some of your Destiny questions? Because we are yes. running out of time. So, <laughs> sorry, we are, I actually have a, a few questions. Uh, and then mm. we've got some listener questions as well. We so uh, okay. we'll try and go through them quickly. So do you have any like standout funny stories from any of your projects that you were just like... What even is happening here? What what kind of job is this? <laughs> uh, wow. 
Um, obviously, if you need time, we can move on to another question. I don't obviously yeah, want to yeah. put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, let, let's go back to that one. I need to think about that. So what's the project you felt closest to or most passionate about? Ooh. Um, well, uh, I, I've already brought it up, so I hate to go <laughs> back to right. it again. But definitely, definitely rebuilding franchise mode in Madden. Um, still to this day, and it probably will be forever unless, like, you know, I open up my own studio and make my own game kind of thing. And that's only because, as I mentioned, I had always played Madden. Um, I bought it every year. And the only thing I did in Madden was play franchise mode. So being able to go and lead that team and then rebuild it from the ground up and contribute a lot, um, even though I wasn't the designer on it, I was a producer, but contribute a lot to the design of it, uh, working really closely with my lead designer at the time, Josh Lumen. That was just, I mean, it's like kid and a kid at Christmas tree, Christmas day, opening up a present. Like who gets to do that kind of shit? Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody, you know? So I'm so, yeah, I'm so happy you got to experience that. That makes me like so happy for you. Everything's been downhill from, from that point. So, okay. Now I was going to say like <laughs> less happy. Um, <laughs> is there any part of the industry that you wish you had more exposure to that you've just not had a chance to yet? Or do you think you've got kind of a good overall view? Or had a good overall view. Yeah, so uh, two years ago, I would have said everything that I've been doing at Turn 10. Um, I didn't, and that's why I went to Turn 10. Um, I, I loved working at Bungie. Didn't want to leave there. It's still, to this day, in its unique, own unique way, the best place I've ever worked. Um, studio culture there is just amazing. The studio leadership is amazing. Uh, and Turn 10 has amazing studio leadership too, but I, I got the opportunity to go there to be an EP, to learn heavily about the business side of the game, uh, of making games, um, you know, getting to work and driving decisions around like marketing and partnerships and all this stuff, which I didn't, I had exposure to before, but as like more of an observer along for the ride and not somebody who was part of the process, um, really driving it. And, um, and so, yeah, I feel now fairly well-rounded I mean, if I could go back in time when I wasn't quite at this level, I would have I would tell my 10 year younger self, to, um, hey, if you ever get a chance or make force your way into it, but like work in audio, um, okay. because that is among all the disciplines. That's the one that I have the biggest blind spot to. Right. And uh, but it's probably the part of game making, like when it's coming together, because audio always comes together at the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of game making that to me is just the the most powerful. Like I think music just makes games. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. Entirely. There's a, a really good documentary done on um, Darkest Dungeon where they're talking about how they got the voice actor to I forgot his name now, but he does like Call of Cthulhu, like sorry Cthulhu mythos yeah. stuff, <laughs> um, and just hearing the audio come together and stuff like that is so amazing because mm. that game's audio design is just insane yeah it, is, yeah. it sounds yeah. so good yeah it's because your your brain works through audio first before anything else even though light is faster than sound your brain processes sound first so if the sound is slightly off you'll you'll realize something's wrong even though you won't realize that you re you're realizing it it doesn't really make <laughs> sense really mm. but yeah if everything gels together with the sound it just completely builds it for you that's why like music in a scene to a film can change a scene entirely. I don't know if you've seen, some people have made trailers for films where they've changed the tone of the film into a horror film or a comedy yeah, just a by changing a horror film. I <laughs> exactly, love that. yeah, yeah. It's, it's so cool. One, it's really it? clever. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. If you weren't working in the video game industry, 
what would you do instead? Hmm. I, I, I don't know. I'll <laughs> get into the video uh, game industry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know because, uh, I've had, you know, the games industry is great. Um, when you're lucky enough to work for somebody like Microsoft or somebody like Amazon or, or Google, even at this point mm-hmm. and be in games, that's amazing because like you're working in games, but then you're also getting paid like one of their non-game people. Right. Um, right. which, you know, when you're at EA, Activision, Blizzard, et cetera, like you're making game industry salaries, which are good, but they're not like Microsoft, Amazon, Google level good. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, over the years, like a lot of people would leave after they uh, get burnout or whatever. It's just like, oh man, I can make so much more just building software. Right. Um, and then I've had the opportunities to leave to do that, to like even take director level or VP level roles at other companies over the last few years um, that are not in games. And I'm like, yeah, I would never do that. Um, like, yeah, it sounds enticing at first. And then you start talking to people and you realize, oh, yeah, like I've not been in games before. I spent, you know, what, 13 years of my career not being in games. Um, and it's I remember what that was like. Like, it's just not it's not the same thing working in games like uh, this is the thing I always tell people for me anyway. The reason why I love it uh, is because I love playing games. I love reading about games. I love watching videos about games. I love the industry as a whole, everything about the industry. And um, when I go to the office, I know that like nine times out of 10, the person sitting next to me is also into the same things. And right off the bat, you have a common thing between the two of you that you can always talk about, um, you know, you know, just shoot the shit with. Right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, maybe build an acquaintance, a friendship, et cetera. That's so much hard. Like I didn't find that before I got into games. Like I was always the outcast at whatever company I worked in that like played games Mm -hmm. uh, or talked about games. People didn't know what the hell I was talking about. That's possibly the most wholesome thing I've ever heard about video games. That is amazing. Yeah. I love it. So wholesome the best answer ever yeah oh so i guess to, to put a fine point in it i would probably like figure out a way to retire before i left games no way okay i completely understand that after that description that's amazing two very quick destiny questions because you've already answered one mm-hmm. of them which is do you play destiny um which is yes <laughs> who's your favorite character and why is it cade six <laughs> <laughs> it is cade six actually um <laughs> I, uh, so fun, it is Cade 6, um, fun story. So we obviously knew about Cade 6, uh, getting killed off before everybody else. And it was, it was announced at a studio wide meeting when we got to see like the early version of that trailer. (laughs) It's like bells ringing, um, bad news, everyone. (laughs) And, and, and uh, like, you know, we watch it and it's, it's amazing. Of course, all the Destiny trailers are amazing. That, that team does such great work, but um, you know, at the end, people like they like what they usually do. Everyone's clapping and cheering like, wow, that was amazing. And I'm looking at it like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you didn't just kill off Cade 6. <laughs> What's Kung going to do now? Like, oh, man. No, he is. Yeah. Uh, it definitely hasn't been the same for me since uh, since he's been killed off. Um, yeah. It, I, I loved I love that character. Yeah, that was definitely a very standout character. One of the best characters in video games, to be honest. Really? So, wow. I think I agree with you. It's like the um the bit where one of the trailers he's drinking like the blue milk stuff and the ro- the sweeper robots mm-hmm. just sweeping as the battle's going on. Or um 
where he's just like you're chasing him through the prison at the start of Forsaken. And it's just like, yeah. what characters do you have that level of like, this guy's a moron, but I love him so much kind of yeah. thing. Because <laughs> yeah, he's exactly. so skilled and you just don't believe it until you see it and you're like, oh, right. He's just cocky. Yeah. Yeah. He always felt to me like one of those, um, you know, companion characters that you love, like in Mass Effect or Dragon Age or those type of games where you have like this companion that, that you could always have along in your party. Except he wasn't that like he wasn't really like a companion character, right? Like he didn't he wasn't with you all the time, rarely ever with you doing anything. But uh, just, you know, his quips, his overall demeanor, um, his lines and the voice acting behind it, of course, Nathan was amazing. Fillion. Just I, so it good. Just made me feel like he was a companion. Yeah, that just I, I think I don't think they could have got a more perfect voice actor for him. Like that was just it. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, so what is so we're just not gushing about cage for the next like five minutes um what's your favorite <laughs> exotic weapon out of either game oh wow wow there's a lot yeah um so exotic harrison's because harrison doesn't massively know. play destiny they are um rare drop like incredibly rare drops that have special yeah, yeah, yeah. um effects yeah. basically yeah so yeah i know like, of them because my dad my dad's a big destiny head so I oh yeah him play i forgot about that <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's hard. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite one because it's always evolving. Right. Yeah. Um, it, in destiny one, of course, it was highly dependent on what roles you got <laughs> and, uh, in destiny two, it's just things changed all the time. So yeah, I wouldn't say, uh, I had a favorite, but I always loved hand cannons. So, uh, I think it was a sunshot when it first came oh, out. Oh yeah. Was that that is a beautiful gun. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably, well, at that moment, I would say that that one was probably, like, my favorite one in Destiny 2 so far, only because, like, it is the weapon that I used for a long time. The Ace of Spades, obviously. Um, all great audio on that, too, actually. So. Yeah, and I think, personally, it'd probably be 1K voices for me, like, 1,000 voices, just because yeah. I got it on, like, my fifth run, and there was someone who was playing with us who'd been through, like, 25 runs, and I was just oh, like... Really? Oh, I got the drop, and I was like, "Oh, I got one K voices," and he was like, "What?" In the background. <laughs> I was like, "Right, bye." Just like, "Oh, I just hear controls smashing." <laughs> yeah, uh, right. So we do have a few listener questions. Apologies, obviously, for trying not to take up too sure. much of your time. Um, so oh, the first question comes from a good friend of ours named Jake. Uh, he's a concept artist. You can find him at Ghostbrush. Um, his first question is: uh, Does Carlos have any jobs going? Uh, and can you send him my portfolio, please? Uh, and the second question is, what's the difference between working on a high-concept sci-fi game and then a realistic car simulation game? Uh, and then he also said he mm. imagines that the Forza offices smell better. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, right. All right, well, let's address the smell bad. So the Forza offices actually do not smell bad. Yeah. Sports offices are actually very nice smelling, uh, <laughs> and the playground, we, you know, playground games as well. Like great, both great facilities. People come in there clean. They take good, showers good. and stuff. So, <laughs> uh, so that's good. Uh, and no, and people, while people will bring some exotic cars to uh, the front of the studio, or actually the the GM of the studio, um, Alan Hartman, he actually has a oh my gosh. I can't remember what supercar it is, but his own personal supercar that he parks in the lobby. Wow. Um, That's awesome. And just we'll leave it there for like a week or two at a time, sometimes just to kind of showcase it. Um, 
people don't like work on their cars during lunch and come back sweaty or anything. <laughs> come in covered in oil. Just... Um, no apologies. Yeah. Sorry, no, I've read that wrong. He actually says oh. that he thinks the Forza Studios would smell better than the sci-fi yeah. studio and the Bungie <laughs> studio. Oh, hmm. Okay. So, you went for a completely different angle uh, than I thought as let, well. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, people working on yeah, cars. I'll say uh, he's onto something there and I'll say why. <laughs> Um, so the reason why is because, and this has nothing to do with people Sci-fi sleeping for days at a studio <laughs> or something like that, or just people not caring about their hygiene. It's because, um, uh, at, so Bungie right next to Bungie is a gym, uh, and LA fitness. And, uh, and so people would go and work out at that LA fitness sometimes right before work, sometimes during lunch, sometimes sometime in, in the uh, middle of the afternoon and uh, we didn't have that many showers in the office, and a lot of people wouldn't shower at the gym. So sometimes there would be this massive line of people waiting to shower. Right. Uh, and it stank. So that's why. Are yes, you showering the gym? Building a sci fi game sometimes, I guess, could stink more I, than a force. I use game. the other entrance <laughs> when I see people coming in. <laughs> so we've got the gym, the user entrance, and the standard entrance. <laughs> Um, me, I, I went to the gym too, but I had a schedule that I figured out where it had the minimal amount of people that would be wanting to take a shower at that moment. So my gym schedule was based around that. Um, in terms of, uh, how different it is making like a sci-fi game versus making a driving game. I mean, they're very different, but I would say like the biggest difference, um, by far and away with a game like Forza that is a heavily licensed property Mm -hmm. is really just the licensing part of it. It adds a whole level of complexity to game making that, um, to be honest, like I wasn't even aware of until I started working there because I, I worked on Madden, which is a licensed property too. But like, you know, once you, I mean, you have your deal with the NFL and the NFL players association and you know what you can and can't do. And you know, that's kind of it. But like, for a game like Forza Horizon or Forza Motorsport or any like racing game that has real cars in it, every individual car is licensed. Um, you know, you get you go to a manufacturer maybe and you want like, oh, I want like 10 of your Fords. And uh, and then they might not want to give you all 10 or they might say, oh, here's a 10. But we also have this other one coming up and we and you have to take that one, too, maybe. Um, and then, of course, there's the deals behind that and how long you can license things for. That's why. A lot of people don't realize this, but like games that have a a lot of licensed content, that's why they have an end of life. Like you won't see that game for sale anymore after like a few years, five years, whatever it may be because of the terms of the licensing deal. And that could be not just even for um, something like cars in our case, but it could also be for music. I'd never even thought of that. No, I didn't think about that either. Because there's licensing on firearms as well, isn't there? In certain games. There's licensing for firearms, yeah. Like, Call of Duty does that for sure, too. Um, but yeah, music is a big one because music's expensive to license. Yep. Um, and uh, and you usually get, like, five to seven-year terms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but if you, want, if you want to be able to sell your game forever, then you want uh, a term that's, you know, uh, in perpetuity. Well, you're going to be paying a lot of money for that. So a lot of people don't usually do that right, okay. um, unless they can get a cheap deal for something like that. And uh, and so, yeah, music, a light licensed content um, in games just adds a whole another level to it. Right. Yeah, no way. That's, I'd never even considered that. Yeah. No, that's no. such an interesting I mean, perspective that, on it. That's one of the questions that 
I actually have from one of the other listeners, Stu. He's Stu from another gaming podcast called Shark Select. He says, how do they choose the cars that you want to license? Do you go after their, do you go after your favorites or do manufacturers offer you licenses? Uh, well, manufacturers are not going to offer licenses. Okay. So, um, because they want money too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, usually, uh, our process has been, um, and I know other, other racing titles, um, that friends have worked on, uh, are the very similar where it's like, you know what cars you want in the game. Okay. Um, and, um, and so you end up, you know, creating that master list, you know, what you like from a design perspective, what you need, um, based on the experiences that you're going to build, okay. you know, what kind of like other cars that you want in your inventory is just like fluff fan favorite type of mm-hmm. things. Um, and so then you make that list and then you try to get everything that you want licensed and, um, yeah, at that point, then it's just to work on, on a licensing team to go off and, and make those deals happen. And um, sometimes it's, you know, well, it's never easy, but sometimes it's a lot easier than others. Some, you know, OEMs that you might work with take forever to respond, um, aren't really that engaged. And also, too, like on the, on the whether it's OEMs um, for cars, whether it's music, et cetera, like sometimes those teams or a lot of times the people that are in those teams that you might interact with, like those people come and go. Right. <laughs> and so every time that there's a new person in that role that you have to work with, it's like starting all over again. Right. So, um, yeah, so it, it, uh, it makes it really challenging. I bet it does. Yeah. Sorry, John, I didn't mean to put in your questions yeah. there, but it made sense for the, that next no, question to be there. Absolutely fine. So. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly interesting. I, like I said, I never even considered like how that would affect the games massively. No. But yeah. Especially like if someone just leaves, I'm like, hey, we've got a new person in. This is this is Sarah. And you're like, no. <laughs> like, I don't oh, I already had a working relationship. Yeah. It adds a lot of risk uh to to what you're trying to do. And um, you know, I know that like the licensing team that we have uh at turn ten, the licensing team that we had when I was on Madden, like those people work really hard. Um, because you know, they're they're a part of the game team in essence, right? Um, they're trying to help you realize what you need, what your dream is, right? What you're trying, what your design is, what your intent is. And that's getting certain pieces of content and they're trying to go get that for you. And it's a big challenge for those, for those people. Yeah, I can imagine. So please take care of your licensing teams. (laughs) That's my advice. (laughs) Uh, The second question we have on here uh, is actually from the person who introduced me to Destiny. Uh, so this is from my friend Matthew. So he asked whether it was a conscious decision to not have matchmaking for raids and not have a built-in looking for group system in Destiny 1 and 2. Yeah, that was a conscious decision. <clears throat> okay. So I can't tell you the whys, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think I can say this, though, is like I know that there's a general perception that randomized matchmaking is not a good experience, whether you know, people agree with that. Yes or no. That's up to the people. I don't know. Um, I, for me personally, I always wanted to see matchmaking in there. Um, or at least a system that would allow you to do, I forgot what that website was called that I used to use all the time, uh, to create groups in there, like a party finder in essence. Yeah. Almost kind of Um, letting you pick and like a server browser kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. this seems like what I'm trying to do. I'll join these guys. Yeah, exactly. And as a group creator you can make your own requirements and that kind of thing um so yeah i I think it would it would have been great to have that but at the same time like 
building those kinds of systems are really expensive, yeah. especially like anything that's UI intensive like that yeah. becomes really hard to do when you're making a game. Like if you look at Destiny's UI, um, it's a game that's made for PC and console, right? Mm -hmm. And to make, in essence, a directory that's easily searchable, browsable, yeah. or where you can create your own party and all that stuff like in console, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I can completely understand that. He did make a very good point though which this mm. is one that I do stand by with him and I'll argue this one. He was like, why is there not a big button that just says raid and I press it and it sends an invite to all the people I know on my friends list that are playing Destiny right now. And yeah, I was that'd like, be cool. yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd have a big raid button that you just have to like press and it goes <laughs> and sends out loads of invites. <laughs> like the Inception one. Yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good idea. There we go. It's a million dollar idea there. Yeah, you might want to copyright <laughs> that, Jordan, quick. <laughs> Copyright, quick. Yeah, there's uh, the guy who, um, I'm trying to remember his, oh, uh, Steve Dolan, I believe that's his name. We worked together a while back before uh, we also worked together um, at Bungie, but uh, he's he is the designer you would want to throw that idea out to, <laughs> um, which I know he's always looking for community input. Okay, so. get him on the show, bring him, him on. He does all the social stuff, including emotes and all that we'll stuff. We'll do so. it, we'll, we'll just get, hey, add this huge button that takes up the yeah. entire screen. <laughs> uh, and then we, I, I, sorry, Karam. Oh, go ahead. It's okay. Oh, I was gonna say, uh, I, I my friends, this was this is really dumb. Uh, my friends, their request for years was always um, the guy in the uh, in, at the start of D two in the tower who's um, making the noodles, right? He's like stirring the pot there, whatever the, the pan. There was nothing in there, and so I would get a question almost on a weekly basis from my friends Nick and Eric. When the fuck are we getting the noodles in the pan? He's not stirring anything. Can you please talk to somebody to put the noodle? And so I actually like bugged it once um, to put the noodles in the pan, and it just yeah, it, it went nowhere. It immediately got like chaos. So <laughs> that should be that your biggest a regret. Shame. There should have been ramen involved. Oh. <laughs> well, there. Yes, the ramen. Yes, the ramen. That's what. There it are is. so many <laughs> questions about um, the people making suggestions about the sweeper robot as well. Just like, well, is it? It's oh. like, is that going to be a new class? Is this going to be... And it's just like, where's his story arc going? And I was, like, I was always thinking, like, if there was something, that'd be amazing to me. Just like, every, like, he's just this amazing character that we just know nothing mm -hmm. about, sadly. So the last question here comes from um, my friend Jordan. So there's two of us. That's great. Yep. Um, how He asks, how is development being shaped by the ever-growing esports industry and how is Forza making sure it caters to that new demand? Hmm, that's a good question. You can tell he knows about real video game development. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't really. So um, I'll say this. So like, you know, Forza does have or did have an esports program. Um, uh, I think it was announced several months back, uh, but it's, it's on hiatus um, for the rest of this year. I don't know when uh, it'll it'll make an appearance again, but the um, in terms of catering to esports, that's tough because like not every game that you're gonna make uh, is really for that audience. Mm -hmm. um, I know, like I think maybe it was a couple years ago or a few years ago, almost any multiplayer game, people felt like, oh well, let's we got to turn this into an esport, and it's like that's actually not the right approach <laughs> in my mind. My approach is, uh, and this is my, the feedback I've always given to uh, teams I've been in who've been working on like esports programs is like, hey, uh, maybe our game isn't actually meant for esports. 
So like, how would you take our game, like fundamentally, and what would you do? What, how would you change it so that it could really be an esports uh, game that stands out and, uh, and not just something that's, you know, tacked on to the current game that we have? And I think that's like you either take that approach or you take the approach of I want to build an esports successful type of game from the ground up. Right. And you build an experience for that. Um, and, and that's not just like building multiplayer. That's like, there's a lot of other aspects to that, 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 um, make esports successful. So, um, so yeah, I think, um, I think there's that because what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, in order to make a game, most people don't make a game with esports in mind. And so, but when you go down that path, like your game, I, I guarantee it. I put 50 bucks on the table that like most people's games are not ready for it because they don't have the infrastructure or the tools set up on the back end to allow somebody like a commissioner of a league to run a tournament with their game. Um, and that is actually a pretty big damn invest investment yeah. <laughs> to do that. And your, your game was probably not even made with access levels in mind for something like that. Um, and that's just like scratching the surface aspect of it. Uh, so yeah, I think that that's the best answer I can give on again, that. Again, incredibly detailed, like well thought answers. It's stuff I'd just not considered previously. So thank you so much for that. That's yeah. I love how amazing <laughs> yeah, all these answers are. I'm just like blown away every time. Like so many things <laughs> I'm to glad consider. I can provide amazing. Yeah, answers. they are. Thank you. Uh, Has I think it's back to you. Yeah, yeah. So this is back to some of Stu's questions because he sent a few to ask about in regards to Forza because he's he's quite a big fan. He says, do you have a personal favorite circuit and why isn't Alton Park in any of the Forza games? As that's one of our, in the UK, one of our most mm. famous racetracks. I've driven around it myself in a McLaren and it was great. Really good. It should be in there. <laughs> cool. So uh, I'll say this. Uh, I, th I mentioned this before, I think, but like, I mainly play Horizon, mm -hmm. which is and not Motorsport. Right. Motorsport is definitely very much racing simulator, yeah, circuit yeah. racing type of game, Gran Turismo style, yeah. right? Uh, which I used to be into those games maybe about like ten years ago or so. Right. Not as much anymore. Horizon doesn't have it's not hardcore at all, mm -hmm. like racing sim. Very casual open world driving sim type of game. Um now so I don't have a favorite circuit, but I will say with regards to the question of why isn't a specific um, circuit or track in the game, yeah. it all boils down again to licensing. Like, oh, right. Okay. So um, every track in any racing game on the planet that uh, that is mimicking a real life, real world track, it's because it was licensed to do so, right. which means that the game developer elected to pay some sum of money whether it's like a flat fee or royalties of the game to that, uh, to the company behind that track to license it. And, you know, some entities just want a lot of money and that's why you don't see that in the game. Right. Okay. So, and then there's also the aspect too, from like a developer standpoint that, you know, when you're trying to ship a game, you have time to make whatever, let's say 10 tracks. What are the 10 tracks you want to have in the game? You obviously don't want to license all of them because the game needs to make money. Yep. <laughs> so you're going to create maybe like half fictional tracks and half real tracks. So like what are the five real tracks that you're going to have in there that you think most people would really like or be happy that okay. are there? All right. So knowing that you're going to miss a few. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. Good answer. Next, we've got a question from Ross in Ireland and that's uh, at Cap Understands on Twitter. And he says, Destiny and Destiny 2, this is in reference to, he says he's a big fan of both of these games. 
Was it a design intention to be as far removed from Halo as possible to separate it, or were you happy for any comparisons that were made between the two? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know how well I can answer that because I wasn't there for early Bungie days yeah. after they split, right? Um, I do know that, like, you know, Jason Jones and that team early on when they split off, they had that idea of destiny in mind. Yeah. And um, I don't know that they were trying to necessarily make another Halo game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually even the first iteration of, of what they were building for Destiny from a prototype was a third-person game. Right. Um, so that would have been very different from Halo, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then they ended up you know, going back first-person. It felt better. Um, obviously, the game is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but the talent that they had was first-person shooter talent, yeah. right? So... Um, so it made it easier to do that. So I don't know if they, I don't know if they feel that it's complimentary that it's a lot like Halo. I, I feel like they do. They they distance themselves. At least this was my perception while yeah. I was there. They definitely distance themselves a lot from Halo, mm-hmm. um, except when it's like the original ones that they built, which they feel are the best Halos right, okay, that have yeah. ever been made. Well, at least they're remembering where they came from <laughs> um, in that aspect because you've got you know what you're building from, don't you? You always know your first big project, yeah. I suppose. What are your roots kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You never forget your roots. Right. And the and the engine that Destiny's built off of is the same engine. I mean, obviously it's been modified yeah. to hell and back, but it is the same engine that Halo was built off of right. and that Halo continues to also be built off of. Right, right. And they're going into the slip space engine next, isn't it? That's the new thing. Yeah, but that's still like... Is it still foundation, right? It's still built off of the old engine. Right, right, okay, right. Yeah. Okay. So in a lot of ways, it's still new. It's just like rebranded and yeah, it's got, it's evolved a lot, mm-hmm. but it's still foundationally um, yeah. the old engine. Okay. Uh, and our next question, this is the final one from our listeners. Uh, this comes from at Vectormen on Twitter. They said, is it even possible to sleep at night as a project lead <laughs> uh, of a live service game? <laughs> Where the goals and resources of the project shift so regularly and remain so indistinctly in the future. Like, I get stressed out uh, with when mega plans change, but that's essentially the job here. Yeah, so uh, I'll say this. Um, for me, like, maybe five years ago um, or so, uh, and this was even before I was uh, working in games when I was actually building software that was also, like, live, right? It was online. Um, I could not, it was very difficult too, because you're always worried, you're always stressed about it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then about five years ago, I realized that I needed to just stop, (laughs) um, that once I leave the building, I've left the building. Yeah. That's important. Um, I mean, yeah, there's still things Mm -hmm. that you need to follow up on. And like, occasionally if there's a fire, people reach out to you, um, that happens, but like, I need to focus on myself i need to focus on my family and i need to focus on like getting enjoyment out work of life, life balance. not worrying about work yeah exactly work-life balance yeah. is hugely important yeah it really is so i i would implore every game developer to do the same and i know that's tough because we work in games because we're passionate about what we're working on mm-hmm. but it's only going to be up to you to do that like you you're the one that has to make that choice me as like a people or as a person who's managed a lot of people over the years like I'll tell my direct, like, hey, um, take the rest of the day off or, hey, uh, you're leaving now or whatever, right, yeah. to make sure that they're doing that work-life balance. But I can only 
lead by example and then tell them to go do a thing so that they realize it's okay. Yeah. yeah. It still has to be up to them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, being okay, nervous yeah. to realize that you actually need to have a life. Yeah. There's always yeah. time yes. to be healthy. Like, yeah. Yeah, that shows that you're you're good at your job then, Carlos. I mean, like I know producers in TV and that kind of stuff and they crack the whip hard like you're not going home until everything is done, you know? Um I won't point out any that's names. That's not been but my style. Yeah, no, that's good. Like, like you ever. seem like a very chilled person. That, I think that's very <laughs> good to be in that, you know, that mindset when they've got the kind of role that you do. It's good to be sort of unflappable at all times. Yeah. I mean, we've been, I've been in situations for sure. Um, and this was like five, five, six years ago mm -hmm. when I was at EA Montreal, for example, where we definitely like were behind and we probably should work uh, on the weekend. Um, and my approach was always like, hey, so you know, this is where we're at. I've always been very transparent and clear with people mm -hmm. and we're behind. Um, we need to make this up. We need to figure out how um, while I'm trying to also buy more time uh, <laughs> as well because it's not just we should just work harder. Sometimes it's like, hey, we should just see if we can get more time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in those cases, I've always just taken the approach of like, so I'm going to be here this weekend um, mm -hmm. to try to help catch up uh, if anyone else wants to, then, you know, I'm paying for everybody's whatever breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever it is, yeah. whatever time. And I'm going to be here from like these core set hours, which I usually try to keep very limited because mm -hmm. I don't want people if we had to work late for whatever reason or had to work on a weekend. I think that there has to be a time box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so and so it's more of like an invitation and yeah. not a okay. you need to do this. Yeah, yeah. that's um, much better. And I've found success like with you know getting people to to still commit and do things mm -hmm. uh, in that manner. Um, so I don't want to crack the whip because yeah. um, I think it's just unnecessary. Yeah, definitely. Um, and not only that, but then people start getting resentful. They start hitting their jobs. Mm -hmm. They start hitting their manager, which is then me. And like I don't want any of that to happen yeah, yeah. Um, because work should be a place where you're happy about what you're doing, happy about being there, want to be there long term. So you should give management training. That's exactly know, what yeah. you should do. <laughs> that should be like a side project. Just do that, please. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Either that or yeah, trying to convince I, people to play Destiny 2 because I took a break after <laughs> I got my Undying. I actually did the Undying badge and bought yeah. it. So I have yeah, the Undying badge. I'm proud of it. But at the same time, nice. like... That is a lot of effort I put in, and now it I want to well play done. it again. So thank you for that. Yeah, we're all proud of you. We're all proud of you. Carlos yeah, is yeah. proud of you as well. <laughs> I am. That's a lot of work. Thank man. you. That's very kind. And uh, that is the end of our questions. So before we hit our weekly recommends, like I said, we usually recommend something at the end of the show. This is just for you podcast listeners, and it won't affect you guys on Twitch. But we have to hit a quick promo from the guys over at Cinematic Blind Spots. Hey guys, I'm Adam. And I'm Josh. And, and we, we are Cinematic, Cinematic Blind, Spots. Blind Spots. The podcast where two movie lovers will introduce each other to a new film every week. No matter the year or the genre, nothing is off limits. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on all the socials. And remember, whether you are in your car or in the theater, always check your blind spots. And we're back. Look at that. Seamless, smooth, like a dolphin. <laughs> So as it comes to the end of our show, we like to do weekly recommends. Things that we've watched and played to recommend to you. So, Carlos, would you like to go first? Is there anything that's caught your eye in the past few weeks? Uh, I'm going to go last. Actually. Going to go last? Okay. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I've got mine ready, if, or if you want to go first, Jordan. 
Uh, you take it. I'll go middle. Yeah. Mine's going to be a game called Spiritfarer, which is, and this is verbatim from their site, it's an indie management sim and sandbox adventure game, which has been developed by Thunder Lotus Games, and they're from Canada, and it's available on Windows, PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, and Google Stadia, apparently, from today, which is pretty cool. It was a breath of fresh air to find, like, a little indie game that has just been so enjoyable to play. Even just from the first hour, like, I've felt completely encapsulated in this little game um jordan you said you're familiar with it already didn't you i think i'd seen something about it i've, I've not played it yet though it's essentially you're replacing charon which is the guy who ferries souls for into the, the afterlife and you're replacing him and then so you build your nice little barge and you've got to build like little housing places to get all the souls in and you build a kitchen and you grow them food and it's just and the animation in it is absolutely beautiful i've never seen such character in what seems like such a low budget game whoever animated it like the pause in the animations the timing is flawless i hope that i can find out whoever the animators are because i'd love to talk to them about it and how they went about doing this hopefully we can get them on the show at some point nothing is rushed everything's perfect and the the art captured me first of all but like the simplistic and relaxed gameplay has kept me there for hours. I've been playing it for the past few hours this morning with my coffee. Absolutely loved it. So please, guys, go and check that out. It is on Game Pass as well at the moment. So if you can get it on there, take advantage of it. Honestly, you will not, not be disappointed. Sweet. That's so, awesome. Yeah, man. That just sounds good. I might have a, have a look at that. Not that your recommendations are bad, Harrison. But I you know, know, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing a hell of a lot of Rocksmith 2014. Like, okay. too much. Like, I snapped a guitar string and I was just sat there like, I don't have any spares. Oh no. Oh no. Um, <laughs> so I've been playing between three and five hours a day. Which wow. is... Yeah, I've played like literally nothing else apart from a bit of Kingdom Come Deliverance because, <laughs> you know, who doesn't want to play as Henry? Because Henry's a... He's basically a plank, but he's a lovable plank. If that makes sense. <laughs> he's just a bit thick, but he's fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's good sometimes. It's uh it's a, like Rocksmith's great. Uh, if you get a chance if you're trying to pick up guitar or anything like that, I think I got the game and the cable for like thirty quid or something like that. Which if you've already got a guitar, it's a fun way to learn. I'm I'm happy about it. And that's it. Yeah. Nice. What about you? I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar, actually. There we so go. You, go you can it. actually just use a microphone instead of the uh, the cable as well. Oh, So nice. it picks up the tone. Oh, of this. It works pretty well from what I've seen, but I just use the cable. Wow. For my recommends, uh, can I can I not do a game? Yeah, you can fine. do anything you want. Like, kind of anything. Recommend. Okay, cool. And this is mainly for uh, the game devs listening, especially the indie ones. So I highly recommend uh, reading uh raf coster's uh postmortems um selected essays if you really want to learn about game development projects what could go wrong um what does go wrong <laughs> uh and uh and then what was learned uh he's he's a great resource very active on twitter um but uh that book is amazing um i got a chance to meet him at gdc 2019 i think it was and he's been one of my like game dev heroes for a long time because he was one the lead designer for Star Wars Galaxy, so oh, cool. a lot of those systems I mentioned, uh, he was responsible for. But then aside from that, um, uh, you know, 
well, globally, but, you know, definitely here in the U.S., um, uh, it's very rare to be a minority like myself. I'm Hispanic. Raf uh, is also Hispanic, actually. Uh, he's Mexican. And, uh, and to be in leadership roles in gaming. Um, so that he was a person that I looked up to. A That's bit. great. That's um, really good. You know, as, as I was getting into gaming. So, yeah, definitely check out his book. Uh, it's it's really an amazing, insightful read. So Postmortem, was that called? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, cool. Right, I've got that down. I'll add that into our notes. Amazing. I might pick that up myself as well. It sounds like a pretty that interesting That sounds interesting. Read. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really yeah. does. And it's it's very thick, though, just a warning. Okay. Thick. <laughs> There's a lot there. Capital T-H-I-C-C. <laughs> yeah, double C thick. <laughs> yeah. Right, that, that brings us to the end of the episode. So thank you so much for coming on, dude. It's been great to have you on. Really yeah, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Great chatting. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah. so, so much for coming on. It's been eye-opening. It has. It really has. <laughs> and thank you guys for watching over in the chat. And thank you for listening on the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and leave us five stars. And it'll be great. Is there any way people can find you, Carlos? Any Twitch streams you want to shout out? Anything yeah. Like uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, Saren TV. That's S-A-R-Y-N-N TV. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then for any game devs that want to connect on LinkedIn, I'm easy to find there. Carlos Sanchez um, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, right. And then of course I'm on Twitch as well. Also Saren TV there too. If you ever want to watch my speedrun team die repeatedly, <laughs> <laughs> we'll add links in our show notes so people can find your channel as well and follow you over there. So don't worry about that. If I do get back into Destiny, you can expect a friend request. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get back on like, what yeah. have you done to me? <laughs> <laughs> but look at my badge collection. <laughs> I'm sure it's extraordinary. I would like to actually see this badge collection. Yeah, just yeah. the one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, let's end it there. See you guys on the stream soon. Have a good night. Goodbye. Bye. Take care.